Well, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. Overall, current times, as things are right now, doing well? Yeah, all good. Kids are asleep. Um, album's doing well. Um, yeah, it's good. That's all I want to hear, that everything is going good. And overall, everyone else in the Violet doing all right at the moment? It's been almost three weeks since the release of The Unknown, your latest album, and the thoughts and feelings of listeners are pouring in. Yeah, everyone else is cool. We're all all happy. Um, overall, the majority of feedback is great. We've just got people, a few bullet belts are falling off, but, you know, it's it's fine. We, we expect it with every album, you know. Yeah, about that. I mean, overall, then satisfied with the response because every Eval album comes with heady expectations that almost seem unfair to a degree. Yeah, I. to be honest, I'm used to it because every album we've released, we've sold out on, we've, you know, even we, we sold out on the last album, which is completely utter speed thrash because we're apparently pandering to retro thrash. I don't know. I don't know. So I take everything with a pinch of salt now with every album we do. Yeah, you can't win. Um, and that's laughable to me because Hell Unleashed in 2021, I mean, that seemed at the time to mark a pinnacle of the evil sound, you know, so much so that following it up on a personal level seemed impossible. Yet here we are. Um yeah. Take me back to the earliest point of the unknown, if you can, specifically your vision. Did you have one? And if so, what did it look like? I, I would say vision is the right word, but I'd use it loosely because we were in the studio for Helen Leash recording. And I think there was a pitch shifter on the, the, um, the guitar thing and it knocked it down two frets. And I played the main riff to At Mirror's Speech. And I just thought that would be a cool riff to put in a song. Something slower, because we, we only ever really do really fast or mid-paced. Mm. There's never anything here or here. It's, we, we've got so many tempos that we've never explored. So it made us open up thinking, like, you know, we've never got a, a song that's like, that kind of tempo we don't have a song that's this tempo and we just said you know what let's just do it let's go for it we've never done these kind of tempos so nothing changed musically it was just the speed of the songs you know it's still the eval riffs are still coming from the same place and that was it it was just in the studio we thought you know what that'd be cool but how do you go from okay that riff's great and this is a cool idea to okay let's sort of make that a feature point of an album I think when we think about when we play live, like when we do festivals and we play, you know, you're playing something extremely fast. You've got the diehard Eva fans at the front who are loving it, singing along. And then you've got all the other people that are kind of like, like that. And then you do something that's like, we are about to die with like the, the heavy bouncy riff. And you see all those people go, yes. And we just wanted a bit more bounce in everything. We, we love playing those heavy, bouncy riffs. So it was just an amalgamation of all these riffs that we had. And we just kept building on them. And I'm the kind of person who, because it's always really, it's fallen to me to write the structures and everything. So hmm. what I do is I have a seed for a song, which is like one riff usually. I write the intro. 
and then I'll upload it to my phone and play it in the car and listen it like 500, 600 times, like driving to and from work. And I, until something clicks, I won't stop listening. So I'll hear something go, right, I know what comes next. But then you multiply that by however many songs there are, uh, however many ideas there are. There's like, usually there's like 20 versions of a song before it's done for me, which is, uh, it sounds insane. So, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm just trying to work out how the hell you keep it organ, how you keep your head organized. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. <laughs> Help. <laughs> Oh, incredible, incredible. So that path then, how does that begin to change and transform as you go on? Were there any specific crossroads you came to that perhaps forced change rather than what you may have planned? I think yes, but that's deliberate and it always has been. So whenever we write, we always think either what shouldn't we do or what what haven't we done. So if we get to a section where it's going to do this, we think it'd be so expected to just do the typical bit here. Mm. So on this album, it was a hell of a lot of let's not do that. Let's do this instead because it's unexpected and it keeps it interesting for us because at the end of the day, we write it all for us. It's, it sounds bad, but we don't care fundamentally what anyone else thinks because as long as all four of us are happy, then someone else is going to be happy. So we just do everything we want to do. And as, as long as it works, it's fine. So it is kind of deliberate because we write to not trick people, but mm. keep people guessing and going places and good in directions where it's a bit unexplored and unexpected. But presumably this, this, if you want to call it level of experimentation at this point, um, excited you all as a group. Yeah, it definitely did. Whenever we send in the riffs back and forth, and I think even on the UK tour we did for Hell Unleashed, we, the riff for, hold on, Reap What You Sow, the we just started jamming that sound check and Ben did the beat to it. And we all just looked at each other like, that sounds amazing, just slow and chuggy. And yeah, it just it ignites something new whenever we did something a bit, a bit different. And creatively, that's what you want to do. You don't want to stay just plodding along in the same style, you know. Mm. Yeah, because there's not like what to say. It would be easy for you to do that. Had you done, say, Hell Unleashed Part 2 this time around, nobody would have complained. Yeah, it, it would have been a great thrash album. The, the criteria for an album shouldn't be whether it's thrash or not. Mm. It should be whether it's good, whether work's been put in, if it's good musically. But I can always tell if there's a review of the album and it has valid points, constructive criticism, and it a score. If it's just, it's boring, then it picks up the pace because there's a thrash song, one out of 10. It's like, I know exactly what you want from an album. We aren't going to give you that. Mm, mm. <laughs> It's that love of genre pigeonholing that we have um, yeah. where the idea that a band such as yourself has done some, for such a long period of time and you dare to do anything out of your wheelhouse, it's uh, controversial. Yeah, it shouldn't be, but it's, it's just how metal is, how thrash mm. bands are. It's just, 
again, we don't care because we're doing it for us. No, and talking about doing it for yourself as well. I mean, you, you guys have always had personal and personal and relatable content in your music, in your tracks, but the unknown is a, a bit of a different kind of beast. Can you identify what prompted you to do things a bit differently in that regard? Yeah, um, after doing Hell Unleashed, it was great. It was fun, you know, demons and mythology. Um, but because these songs were slowing down a bit and heavier, um, the, the vocals become quite um, exposed and mm. they, they take center stage a lot more. You don't have lightning drums to hide behind. And when I started trying some ideas that were demons and war, it was just, it was a bit embarrassing. It was just like, this is not, this is not the one. Um, so I, I was a bit worried for a while, but I just thought, what's what's the only thing I can write about other than that? And that's my own experiences. Hmm. So I just sat down for a long time thinking about all the things I could write about that I know about because I've lived them. And I just got a list of all these things that I think it would be interesting to put in songs, um, tried to match the subject to the certain song, which one would work, and just came up with a lot of deep um personal things and i'm at that age now where i'm fine with doing that i i don't really mind that's like 10 years ago i wouldn't i wouldn't have done it <laughs> it is you mean it is one of the hardest part of it opening up like you do in this record it's a difficult task for anyone how how did you get to a comfortable stage so that you could speak so from the heart um, I think I ignored comfort because it's not comfortable and mm. it's, it's never going to be comfortable talking about personal issues. So I just went all in and wrote everything from the heart and how I felt knowing that that's a hundred percent right. It's, it's not comfortable, but if it's how I feel, it's genuine. So it's not going to come across any other way. And that's, I just, I just kept concentrating on that. And what was, what was the kind of reactions for some of the lyrical content that you brought to the rest of the guys in the band? Um, were they immediately supportive of your ideas? Yes, they were. I, I did, I did take everything to them first. And I told them like, you know, I'm thinking a bit more personal on this album. I don't want to do zombies and beer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they said like, go for it. Joe jo was, um, especially on board, um, they all were just, they said, we need something that's a bit, that has a bit more substance with this album because it's a big album. It's a big sound and it just needs more lyrically. So we mm. did that. We, it's been interesting to sort of watch you talk about the meaning behind uh, the tracks over the last couple of weeks. There was one in particular uh, that resonated with me more than any other, and that is at Mira's speech. Um, and I kind of wanted to ask about the good days rather than the bad. Mm. Uh, the days when you know you're feeling more comf comf confident and comfortable in your own skin. So I've kind of got like a three-pronged question here. And I start with the first one, which is okay. basically what are those good days like for you? This, that's a, a really good question because the answer has changed over the years because now I have two kids, they're almost three and six and good days are when we spend time with the kids and they're happy, they have a great time, I'm happy. 
the weather has a lot to do with it as well. I think I have SAD, um, but you know, kids are happy. I'm happy. The mother of the kids is happy. I'm happy. <laughs> and yeah, I'd, I'd say that a lot to do with the kids now. And yeah, I'd say that. Well, kids can transform your life. Well, they do transform your life completely. Um, secondly, the good days, are they increasing for you, you find? Yeah, definitely. I think the older I've gotten, the the happier I am because my 20s, with, we were doing so much touring, writing. Eva was just constant. Um, everything fluctuated. It was like jobs coming and going, touring, coming home, writing, blah, blah, blah. It was, it was hectic. Um, still not comfortable in my skin. And the older I get now, like... I don't enjoy the things that I used to. I enjoy different things now. Um, I used to enjoy drinking lots and going out, being on tour, getting smashed. Uh, we, we didn't drink a lot, you know, we're not, mm. we're not that kind of band, but I used to enjoy going out. And now I hate going out. I don't want to go out and get drunk anymore. I'd rather stay in, have a pizza and watch um, Aliens. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm a lot more comfortable with admitting that you know what i like staying in <laughs> okay that's cool that's cool and and the last part that, that is really and this I, I don't know it might be quite vague and difficult to, to narrow it down but what has it taken to kind of get to this stage where you do feel happier and can say like that where you just don't want to go out and you just want to chill and this is what makes you feel good i think it's helped being in a band and having the opportunity to travel, meet people, be in front of people, even doing things like this. Um, I, it's, it's just a lot more comfortable now. And just getting older, I've just learned, because I used to say that I don't care what anyone thinks. I think everyone says that, but mm. I used to care what people think. I really did. And now I, I'd say I 1% or 2% care what people think. It's just, I genuinely don't care anymore. And it makes me happy to know that. Like, I I hate Facebook. And whenever we post something or it goes out and a post's gone out, I don't even look at Facebook because I know it's a cesspool of shit. Mm. Um, so there's no point looking. Um, I do look at comments. Everyone looks at comments. Um, I used to concentrate on the negative. I used to, you know, 100 positive, then one negative. I'd concentrate ah. on that and be like... Uh, and now I just skim and say, yeah, it's generally good. Cool. And it just doesn't affect me anymore. That's the dream that you can be in that state of mind. You're absolutely right. Uh, we all would love to be able to say we don't care what everyone thinks and so on. But most of the time we're lying to ourselves. So if you can get to that state of mind, fantastic. Yeah, a bit. I do a bit, but it's it's not like it used to be. Nothing like that. Going back to the unknown then, um, what was one of the most challenging aspects of working on it for you? I think the most challenging was my vocals because I went from, I've, well, I've always been able to sing. I can melodically sing really well, <clears throat> but I couldn't do it healthily. So, mm. you know, I could taste blood when I'd sing and all that. And this time around i really had to get my my style and my vocal health in check and melissa cross really helped a lot i had a, a bit more help from other people like mark cardavox and um 
oh my brain's brain's gone blank but yeah um and my challenge was recording the vocals and keeping it consistent because one day you can have a cold the next mm-hmm. day you can just feel a bit under the weather and that that is the challenge for me so a lot of the times it was doing a take or doing some takes when i feel better and then just trying to place it here and there and i think i've still got a long way to come vocally but i got to a point where i was happy and i was confident with what i could do and it just took a lot of time so there was times i was like i I can't do the vocals on this song yet just because i haven't got it yet i haven't figured it out yet so it it was a struggle but i'm glad i had the struggle because i learned from it something that you continue to now to build up the strength that you've got in your voice and build up the muscle memory and so on yeah yeah i learned so much from melissa that i had no idea you could do with your voice like um like when you take a deep breath and your belly comes out um you you don't have to breathe that way it's a a way of breathing where the back of your rib cage comes out Mm. and you hold the air in and you just use the air that's stored there and tiny bit of air all the time it's just like a tank of air that you can hold in there and keep the pressure it's i can't go into detail because i'll be here all night but yeah just even that it's it's an amazing thing you can hold a note for so long just from holding the air in your lungs like that it's just it's yeah she's really helped positives out of a challenge i love it um yeah and sticking with positives then the flip side of that is what is something that you loved more than anything else about creating this album? Something I loved about the album. Mm, creating it. Yeah. Um, I loved when we were in the studio and uh, Ben was doing the drums because um, the, the good thing about Ben is he he's not a drummer that will be 100% the same every single time and technical and perfect. Like he, every take Ben does isn't the same because he just plays it. And however he feels at that time, it will come out. And I really like that because when Ben plays you, not in a bad way, but you don't know what he's going to do. So at times there's little, there's parts of gold where he'll do something like, okay, that works. And (laughs) it was a really good process because I think he did the whole album in, I want to say three days, I think he just bashed it out and it was just like, okay, <laughs> I guess the drums are done. <laughs> so yeah, doing the drums was really fun, but having Adam in the studio as well was really cool. Cause he, he wasn't, he couldn't really do hell unleashed. Um, but this time around was cool. Yeah. I love, I love that you're uh, still so in awe of your bandmates' abilities and what they can uh, still surprise you with. Oh, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, Ben's great. He's, he's, I think he's a really underrated drummer. He's, um, he's unlike any drummer. He really is. Incredible. Um, over time, I guess, <laughs> the hope and... Uh, dream is of course that you will grow as an artist and as a musician and of course that has obviously happened with you but just as importantly as growing as a person it's something as equally as important in your life um can you identify what has made you the person you are today and is there something specific you can point at and be grateful i guess for its effect on you um 
I think one would be um, the mother to my kids. She taught me so much um, that I think being in a band for so long and living that kind of, um, my priorities were in the band, hmm. uh, that I, I missed out on learning a lot of, about normal life. And she she helped me so much. And then on top of that, having kids has really opened my eyes to what's actually important in life. And um, beyond that, just getting up in the morning and going instead of um, moping or staying in bed. Because um, growing up, I, I, was, I would get quite, quite depressed. And a lot of that was due to not doing anything hmm. and staying in bed and just festering bit basically so getting up and going i've ever learned that just the alarm goes off get up go and then you're up and it's that's that really helped me get up i used to work um 12 hour shifts uh, six days on two days off and i'd get up at four to get there at seven work till 7 p.m get home at like nine sleep get up at four I do that for a long time mm. and that really kicked me into gear in, in terms of my approach to life. So you're very, still very, very good at self-motivating yourself. Yes. I mean, everyone has a few days where you wake up and go, oh my God, I don't want to get out of bed. Yeah. I got about three hours sleep because I had a child kicking me. <laughs> but, <yeah. laughs> Once upon a time, you no doubt would have had a number of your favorite reasons uh, or favorite things that you loved about being in Eval. But I kind of want to get your thoughts now, like this, right this very moment in the current state of Eval with the new album out. What would you point out and say is your favorite thing about being in Eval? Playing live, I would say. Yeah. Um, Every obviously writing's great. Um, the band are great. Uh, we get along really well. It's a lot more positive now. The atmosphere in the band. Um, but yeah, playing is is the highlight. I think it's the goal for us. Um, we we mostly hate the traveling. You know, it it gets very tedious and waiting in airports and delayed flights and long drives. Um, but the playing is all worth it. Um, so. I still have the same excitement. I don't get nervous. I just love getting out there and I have fun. And it's mm. just, it's the best thing about the band. That's fantastic. Do you, do you still have some places on your bucket list that you'd like to be able to tick off one day? Yeah. Well, South America, um, we've, we've played Colombia. We played um, Rockwell Park there, mm. uh, but it, we flew in, played and left. Uh, we'd love to play over there more. Australia, Japan. I lit in fact on my screen I've got an email open about possibly playing Japan. <laughs> so as soon as this ends, I'm gonna email the guy back. But um yeah. Well, everywhere we've been we want to go again, you know, like Scandinavia. Yeah. We we haven't been back there in a long time since I think since Mike passed away, we haven't been back. And um I I might be wrong there, but I'm not sure. Uh yeah everywhere we want to get back to everywhere 
Yeah, and I think everyone wants to hear these new songs played live as well in conjunction with, you know, your historic Evolve stuff, stuff from Hell Unleashed, and now to see how these songs, how you're going to fit them in and mix up this faster and slower tempo stuff. Yeah, yeah. Have you got an idea of how how you, how you your set lists are going to go? Yes, well, I think people forget that we've got six albums worth of material, and if you listen through it, we have slow, heavy stuff. We yeah. have ballads. People are like, oh, you've done a ballad, you've sold out. We've got three ballads now. <laughs> We've got In Memoriam and Tomb and Cult. Like, when we released Five Serpents' Teeth, we sold out. Yeah. And Cult was the Enter Sandman of the time. And it's just, we know how to do peaks and valleys in our set list. So we, we know where to put We Her About to Die. We know where to put Thrasher. Um, so yeah, I, we've, we're pretty, we're pretty good at fitting the new songs in because we know if we do Hell Unleashed here, the unknown will go real well after that because it's yeah. just light and shade. It's It, it works. Yeah, I that question. I already knew the answer. I've seen you guys perform live many times over the years from short festival runs where you just got to knock them out as quick as possible to your own headline shows. Um, and you're all right. Peaks and uh, Valleys is the way to describe it. So I can't wait to see uh, the new stuff. Excellent. Is there a, is there one, is on the new, on the new album, is there one track more than any other that you have been surprised to see resonate with people more than any other that you didn't think might have been the one? At Mirror Speech, I've been getting messages, not posts, not comments. I've been getting messages direct, just saying like, thank you for that song. I mm. I also have the same problem. I, I, I'm not confident. I don't like the way I look. And not that it's good to get those messages, but it's great that people, it's resonated with people. It's meant something to them. Like the goal wasn't to be like, I hope this, I hope you hear this and feel like this. It's just, it's happened to be a byproduct of doing that and it's it's great that people are re resonating with it so yeah at mirror speech has definitely been the one that's like i didn't expect that one to be i, I kind of the its place on the album i think it was kind of an a unconscious hiding it in a way like mm. it's very personal so i want to kind of put it here in the track listing not track one or two you know but you can't really hide from it when it's out there. <laughs> <clears throat> oh, it's amazing that that's the one. Um, when and we got kind of looking to the future here a bit, in say six months' time or 12 months' time, and you look back on the unknown, um, what would you like to feel about it when it comes to its success? What would you like to look at and say, okay, that was a successful album because of this reason? Um. I'd say just that a lot of people enjoyed it. And when we play it, people enjoy it live because again, we don't have a goal when we're writing an album other than us being happy about it. But when, when other people are as happy with it as we are, that, that is the unintentional goal. It's like, wow, they, they love it. It's, it's great. They're singing the songs uh, back to us and yeah, I just like it to be enjoyed. And if people do still enjoy it, then I think we'll be happy because the, the thing I find with Evil albums, I get a lot of people saying it took two or three listens and now I love it. Like, I think 
Evil albums need that. I don't. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I spend eighteen hundred times listening to the song until it's done. But yeah, I get that a lot. Like I've listened to it two or three times now, and it's my favorite album, kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, the idea is you would hope in most circumstances people give any album more than one go just to try and unpick some of the detail and catch stuff you miss and uh, you miss in the first time around. Um, mm. So uh, any grower like that is always fantastic. Um, but of course, as well, uh, sales would be wonderful because more sales means you get to tour and go to these places that you want to bloody go to. Yeah, and a, a lot of people don't know that um, when a record label pay for an album, the only way to recoup that payment is sales of that physical product. It's not the merch. It's not all this. Um, if more people bought the CD and the vinyl that debt would be cleared with the label, then profit can be made from the product being sold. A lot of people don't realize that. They think if you go and see the, see the band live and buy a shirt, that's great. It is great. It helps fuel the tour. But that product has been paid for, and the way to pay it back is getting the, the product paid for. <laughs> There's your mission, Eval fans. Get out there, and if you haven't already, <laughs> excuse me, buy it. Oh, right. We reached the point of interview for a quick fire round. And basically, this is Ozzy Osbourne. And in his head are a load of <laughs> random cards that have nonsensical, serious, jokey questions on them. I'm going to pull out some random ones and throw them your way. I love this, by the way. Okay, cool. <laughs> All right. Your first one is number 53. What was the last great book you read? Um, Dracula, Bram Stoker. Yeah. First time or just a reread? It was the first time, actually. Yeah, I'd never read it before and I needed to, and it's way better than I thought it would be. We're going to be a stupid follow-up to that. I uh, presume you were familiar with Dracula's story uh, and the films that exist and so yes. on. But my shock was that I thought, you know the Gary Oldman one mm -hmm. with Keanu Reeves? I thought that was the story, but no. They've completely romanticized between Dracula and Mina. That didn't happen in the story. They've just gone, oh, let's just make them in love. Like It is a no. little bit different. <laughs> okay, next one. You got number 81. What is a fun, an emphasis on the fun here, what is a fun conspiracy theory that you could be convinced is true? That's good. Um, I, kind, I don't think it's true, but I kind of like the ancient aliens thing, that they came here the pyramids and all this stuff, and then they left. I kind of like that one. I, I I wish it was true, but you know, probably isn't. Yeah, yeah, you have to say that. But we, you know, I I, I kind of agree um, with the a. It is fun, but also you know the arguments and compelling attempts to put evidence for such a thing forward certainly does make you go, huh? Okay, then why not? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, number three. Have you ever experienced something unexplainable? Yes. So there are many witnesses to this. We were, it was a time where we stored our gear at my mom and dad's house and they live in a village called Meltham. Um, we did a gig. Um, there was us four, a guy called Carlos from America who was with us at the time and Carl, our merch guy who helps still to this day. Um, we were unloading all the gear in and out, out of the van into the garage. And it was maybe two in the morning, right? Pitch black. 
and they live in a cul-de-sac, like a dead end road. And over the wall is just fields up to the moors. It's just moor, moor side. There's nothing there. Uh. And as we were loading, I heard something like a singing, but I thought nothing of it. And then I noticed everyone else was like, what's that? And we all stood and stopped and listened in the silence over towards the moors was the sound of, I'd, I want to say, seven or eight-year-old girls singing Ring a Ring of Roses over the moors. And it wasn't a recording because they'd stop and giggle and laugh and it, it sounded live. You know, it was real life. And we, we couldn't explain it because the direction it was coming from, there was just moors. And two in the morning seven eight-year-old girls out there singing it didn't make any sense and we all just stood there for literally five minutes looking at each other like i can't explain why we're hearing this and we even after we went to the parish in huddersfield after this to um, just have some drinks and we were telling people there behind the bar that we knew and they were like <laughs> okay it's like no no honestly really and they were like yeah okay yeah and no one believed us, but ask any member of Evile or Carlos and Carl. And it was just, to this day, is one of the weirdest things ever. Weird. That is so creepy. I got chill listening to you talking about it. And there's a story. I don't know how true this story is, but not near here, not near there, but somewhere in the Yorkshire Moors and the Yorkshire Dales, there's a story of some kids playing and singing ring a ring of roses who fell down a mine shaft and died oh my god <laughs> okay actually you know what i'm not gonna do that one because it's pretty much the same one we'll jump to this one all right 71 have you ever had a wardrobe malfunction on stage Have you ever Janet Jackson did? No, I don't think I have. No, I'm I'm quite I'm quite good in that sense. Well, add the caveat to, to date. We've done so many gigs. I'm just trying to think if there is anything. Um, no, I don't think so. No. Good, and it's a to date one. Fingers crossed, you never do. Um, I will do one more then. Have you ever had a diva moment on stage? You got to be quite honest here. No, I think we've always been completely not taking ourselves seriously. We're, we're always self-deprecating, and um, I no, not no. I don't think so. I, the only diva moment I remember wasn't from me; it was from my brother. Oh um, yeah. We played somewhere in America, I can't remember. One song, or two songs into the set, he broke a string, and he left the stage and never came back. <laughs> we were just like... Uh, I think I did some vocals, actually, which was interesting. Um, but yeah, I'm just, if I had a bit more time, I might remember something where I, I might have been a bit of a dick, but I'm only a dick when it's justified, so... right. So there would have been a good reason. Yeah, I no, I can't think. Oh, not on the spot. Like, can we do one add... more? I love this. All right, yeah, absolutely. 
of that one. Let me pull out this one then. 64, what is the most absurd thing on your rider? <laughs> right, this is, the only reason this is on there, or was on there, is to check if they read the rider, because sometimes people don't read it, and they just get whatever and give it you. And you're like, you didn't even read this. So it was, it, I'm not sure if it's on anymore, but it was um, framed pictures of the cast of Baywatch. So there's only been maybe three times we've turned up to a gig and there was pictures of David Hasselhoff and Pamela Anderson on the walls. And it was like, fair enough. But yeah, I think that that's the weirdest thing. Other than that, there's um, a lot of rum and whiskey, but that's about it. Nothing really weird. Other, oh, actually, no, I've just thought now I, now I'm singing. I have a lot of stuff on there, like decaf green tea and, um, watermelon for acid reflux and just loads of stupid little things like that. <laughs> I love the Baywatch aspect. Um, I can't help but thinking, man, if there was someone, if, if they how dedicated were they, were they going to the sort of B list side of the cast or were they just sticking with the A listers of that cast? There were a few of the ones that I just have no idea who they are, like the male cast. <laughs> um, but I do remember there was another one we did. Um, I don't know if you've seen the Simpsons episode where Barney has the um, Yoko Ono girlfriend. Oh, um, yes. We asked for a, um, a single plum for floating in perfume served in a man's hat. But the one guy who did it, he said, I did as much as I could, but I could not get the plum to float in the in the perfume. But so he put like cocktail sticks into the plum to like float it above the perfume. Wow. I love that. <laughs> Dedication. It was. All right, well, I'm gonna throw one more out actually now as well. because uh, this is one of my favorite. Um, and it's yeah. number 98. What one thing would you like to understand better? Oh, um, I was going to go philosophical and worldly, mm. but I'd like to understand how to play the piano more. I think mm. it's something I've always wanted to do and I just never had the time. I think when I was younger, I wanted to, when I got older, become a monk and move to a monastery, but under the proviso that I have a piano. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I, I love the piano. I really do. It's all about time with that instrument. That's the thing. You've got to have a lot of it, let alone dedication. Um, you know, never say never, I guess. I mean, can you can you can you play anything? Yeah, I, I, I can play, you know, like a few Beethoven things and um I I grasp the understanding. It's just the time and muscle memory, I just I just don't have the time. Yeah, you've got enough else going on, including an email to respond to oh yes um so we will leave it there oh thank you so much for taking the time to do this i massively appreciate it no thank you for having me thank you so much thank you very much for watching if you liked what you saw please help us out by giving us a thumbs up and hitting that subscribe button if you really liked what you saw consider donating to keep the website and channel running by buying us a coffee via our coffee page or picking up some merch from our big cartel store. You can check us out on gbhbl.com as well as via our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, as well as listen to our interviews via SoundCloud, Apple Music, and Spotify. Just search for GBHBL. Games, horror, and heavy metal. What else is life for?